Amen. Amen. Genesis 45 tonight, as we continue our study of the life of Joseph and finish out the book of Genesis, Genesis 45. Even though there's so much going on in this chapter, in this passage tonight, I've entitled this passage The Reunion. And even though Joseph has already met his full brother, Benjamin, this is really the highlight of the reunion part when he meets his father, Jacob. And I want to talk about that for a minute before we get into the chapter tonight, because this great reunion that Joseph has with his father, Jacob, is a reminder to us of the great reunion we're going to have one day with those who have went on before and even with each other. First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about us one day meeting the Lord for the first time, but then being encouraged and comforted by the fact that we're going to be reunited together again with those who've already went to be with the Lord. So you and I are going to at some point have to say goodbye to each other on earth. But we live in the hope that one day we're going to be reunited again. We're going to see each other again. And that's what is taking place here in this chapter between Joseph and Jacob. But also, before we get into this chapter tonight, I want to remind us about what happened at the end of the last chapter, because it's really the reason why you see the beginning of this chapter and Joseph reacting the way that he does. Remember, Judah steps forward as one of the brothers and basically is saying to Joseph, who he still thinks is this Egyptian official, that he is willing to lay down his life for Benjamin. He's willing to become a slave in Egypt for the rest of his life so that his younger brother Benjamin can go free. And Joseph is so moved by seeing the heart change, not only in Judah, but seeing throughout these last couple chapters the heart change that takes place in all of his brothers. This is why he has, in a sense, taken them through all of these tests. Because he's been wounded. He's been hurt. And his own heart needs to be healed. And in order for him to trust his brothers again and to put himself out there to his brothers again, he needed to see that his brothers have changed that they are different men now than they were 20-plus years ago. And that has taken place. Notice at the beginning of chapter 45 what we read, that after Joseph hears the words of Judah, the selfless, sacrificial words that he no longer is able to control or contain or restrain himself, before all his attendants. So he cries out, make everyone go out of my presence. No one remained with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, when he finally was going to reveal to them 
who he was. He wanted it to be a very private family moment. He didn't want anybody else there but just he and his brothers. Uh, what we are seeing here, too, let's be reminded, because we've been tracking this the last couple of chapters, what we are seeing here is true heart change. And true heart change can only come from God. But what a change God can bring about in people's lives if they will allow him to work in their heart. That's the testimony of Joseph's brothers. What a difference they are because they allowed God to work on their hearts and literally transform them. And I say that to encourage us that God can change our hearts, and I say that to encourage us that God can change other people's hearts. We can't, but God can. And when God is allowed to, oh, what a change he can bring about. I mean, these men went from treating their brother Joseph at one time like trash, a piece of trash that could be thrown away, knowing the pain that that would bring to their father, and they didn't even really care. And now they're willing to basically lay down their lives for their brother. That's the heart change. So notice verse 2. He was weeping loudly. We've tracked that throughout our study of his life. He's one who's willing to let his emotions be expressed and once again, he is overcome with emotion. In fact, it says in verse 2 that the Egyptians, even though they had been removed, they heard it, and even Pharaoh's household later heard about it because it was weeping and wailing. Joseph is reminding us that we should be moved by the moving of God. And Joseph is seeing how his brothers are different because of God. And that moves him. That stirs his emotions. And he's expressing that in a profound way. He's letting it out. I say that because not only should we be moved in that way, but I think that's even where worship comes in. We should be so moved by the moving of God in our lives and as we see it and observe it in the lives of others that it stirs us to worship God, the God who alone can do that. And that's where Joseph is at here. Now think about this. Try to put yourself in this scene because this is a powerful scene. I, I've tried over the last couple of weeks to even go, okay, if I had experienced this and because I, I never experienced what Joseph did and all of this, but I'm just trying to put myself in these scenes in the Bible to make them even hit me, you know, more squarely, I guess. Can you imagine the emotion in that room and, and, and what that room was like when Joseph says to those men, 
I am Joseph? Is my father still alive? The first thing he wants to know after he tells his brothers who he really am is, is dad still alive? Because I want to see him. And by the way, I want to point this out. This is important. To the Hebrews, being alive is more than your heart beating. Joseph is not asking his brothers, is my dad's heart still beating? He's asking his brothers, is my dad alive? Is he able to make this trip? Is he able to interact with me? Does he still have his faculties? Does he still have his sense about him? Will he recognize me? Can we interact? That's what Joseph was acting. You see, to the Hebrew, life was not just your heart still beating. It's can you live, if you will. And that's what Joseph really wanted to know. Not was his father's heart still beating, but am I going to be able to have some time to have a true interaction and engagement with my dad again? Am I going to have a true reunion with him? Will he recognize me? Can we talk? Can we catch up? All of that. His brothers, think about this, could not answer him because they were dumbfounded before him. Speechless. Oh, you know, with the slobber running down the, you know. And I want to point this out. This is an example that when you and I trust God like Joseph did, when we follow God even through our painful circumstances, what God can do and what we will put ourselves in a place where we can experience things that just leave us awestruck and in wonder. Again, going back to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who by the power that is working in us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. That God. That God. Far beyond. They never dreamed. Even Joseph who had the dream from God probably never saw it playing out like this, right? That not only someday would his family somehow honor him by bowing before him, but but that God would use him to save the world for the most part at that time. That God would elevate him to the second most powerful person on planet Earth at that time. I'm sure, again, all of this was way beyond what any of them could imagine. God wants us to trust him enough that we will be willing to go, God, you have those kind of experiences for me if I'll just follow you. That there will be times in my life where I'm just dumbfounded. I am left speechless. There are no words. I can't come up with the words to describe, God, what you've allowed me to be a part of and to experience. That's where Joseph's brothers are. Then Joseph says this to his brothers, come closer to me, draw near, approach. So they came near. Remember, Joseph in many ways is a type of Jesus Christ. 
And Christ is always inviting us to draw near and to come closer. But can you imagine here, on both sides of it, here's a man who the last time he was in the presence of these men, like 20 plus years ago, they threw him in the pit. And now he's willing to put himself out there and allow them to get close. But also, on the other side, flip side of that, here are these men now who realize this guy could have our heads if he wants to. Do we really want to get close to him? Can we trust him? You know, there's a lot of stuff, I'm sure, going through their minds at this point. Then he says again, as if he needs to repeat it, because they probably were like, nah. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Wow. That had to hit them like a ton of bricks. But then notice what Joseph said. Here is a man who way before Romans 8.28 was penned by Paul, way before that song we just sang, that God works all things together for good, the very first song that we sang tonight, same verse, right? Same principle. Way before that, Joseph was following that principle in his life, that my God, no matter what people do to me, no matter what my circumstances, what my situation is, I know this, my God is sovereign. My God is in control. And my God doesn't cause people to hurt me and to harm me, but my God is so great that he can use the pains and the sufferings and the hurts and all of that that happened to me in my life that other people inflict upon me, and he can bring great things out of it. That's how great my God is. And you and I have to get there too in our life, or else we become victims and live as victims of what other people have done to us rather than seeing that God can use this and will use it as part of a greater plan. So notice what Joseph's response is. Don't be upset and do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. He's basically saying to his brothers, look what God has done Look what God can do. The almighty God, Elohim, the all-sufficient one. And he sent me ahead. And, and notice, Joseph repeats this in verse 7. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on the earth and save your life. That principle, again, of God's always many, many, many steps ahead of us. And God is already in our future and God is already there preparing us for the future. And what he's doing in our lives now, just like he did in Joseph's life, is preparing us for what we don't know is coming, but God does know is coming. And that's why God wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. Because only God knows. The events, the circumstances, the situations, the trials, and all of that that are coming down the road that we don't know yet. And God's saying, I'll prepare you for that. And I'll even send some ahead to prepare the way for others. Just like he did Joseph. Wow. What a perspective to live by, right? 
instead of being so vindictive and just letting his brothers just, you know, have it the rest of their lives, he said, you know what? I see that God had a greater plan here. That everything I went through at your hands, God had a purpose in it. And God used it to get me to where he wanted to get me so that I could bless others. And that's the other principle we see of how God handles Joseph. God never blesses us so that we keep it to ourselves. God always puts us in positions and blessings and all of that so that then in turn we can bless others. So if God does send you ahead, God's doing it so that you can benefit and bless others who are coming behind you. And many times, especially as leaders, we might be the pioneers that have to sort of blaze the trail for others to follow. That's hard. It's hard to do that and to be that. But God says, I'm going to bless you in your efforts so that those coming from behind you can be blessed by the path that you forge with me. Notice what he says in verse 6. For these past two years, there's been a famine in the land, and for five more years, there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So they're, they're sort of smack dab right in the middle of this seven-year famine. So what does Joseph say again in verse 7? God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on the earth and to save your lives. Notice these words, by a great deliverance, not just a deliverance, God, when he delivers, oh my goodness, does he deliver. Just like earlier, when God changes hearts, he can change hearts if we allow him to. And when God wants to deliver and, and create an escape or rescue or save, oh my goodness, God can do it better than anyone or anything else can. Miraculous, because God can do miracles. And there's nothing too hard or too difficult for God. God is basically feeding the world through the wisdom that he's given this one man. And the people of Egypt and the Hebrews and all others that live in that part of the world where the famine is affected are being kept alive by the hand of God working through the life of Joseph. So now, verse 8, it is not you who sent me here. Basically, again, Joseph is reminding us about the sovereignty of God. God overruled. Yes, you did it. And, and notice, God nor Joseph is absolving his brothers of responsibility. They bear responsibility, res things that they needed to and still do need to repent of. But God's bigger than that. And that's what God wants us to see just as Joseph saw it, is that God was bigger than you brothers. <laughs> and God's the one who has the last word in my life, not my brothers. And God wants us to remember that too. Other people don't have the last word in our life. God does. And that's how he wants us to live our lives, just like Joseph is living his life. So now it is not you who sent me here but God, he has made me an advisor to Pharaoh. 
That was his plan and purpose. Lord over all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now go up to my father quickly and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry, do not delay, because he knew his father was old. Could he even make the trip? Would he survive the trip? It was a months of a trip over hard terrain. But Joseph is even again reminding them, God put me in this position. God put me here. And God does the same thing with us. We don't have to scratch and claw and fight like the world does to get in certain positions. If God wants us in a position, there's no one that can stop you from getting there. There's no one that can keep you from getting there. And if God doesn't want you in that position, there's nothing you can do to scratch or claw or fight to get there. Because God's in control. God's the one that puts us in these positions for his glory and for our and others' benefit. Notice verse 10. You will live in the land of Goshen, and now he takes off his royal robe, and he puts on Mr. Rogers' sweater, and he says to his brothers, and you will be my neighbor. That's what it is in literal in the Hebrew. You'll be my neighbor. Wow. Going from the pit <laughs> and all those years of separation to now, now we're back together again. We're all going to live in the same neighborhood, right? And then notice again, sort of a, a type of Christ. All of you and all that you have are going to be near me. And then verse 11, I will provide, I will sustain, I will support, I will nourish you with food there because there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you would become impoverished or poor, you, your household, and everyone who belongs to you. Look at what is happening because Joseph triumphed through suffering and was faithful through affliction. Look at how God is not only using him, but look at the blessing and benefit upon so many others because he was willing to follow his God through all of his pain. All of those deep waters, all of those flooded streams, all of those raging fires. Joseph was willing to hang on to God and follow him, knowing that the best days for him was yet ahead and that God ultimately was going to define and shape his life. And therefore, he was going to trust God all the way. And look at how his life blessed so many others. It made a huge difference in so many people's lives. Verse 12, you and my brother Benjamin can certainly see or perceive with your own eyes that I really am the one who speaks to you, especially Benjamin. The others might not have recognized him because, again, he was a 17-year-old teenager, and now he's in his late 30s, and he had changed a lot. Plus, like there, he went from being a person who looked like a Hebrew to now a person who looks like an Egyptian. So he would have looked different, but there would have still been those characteristics, especially in his face, 
that family resemblance that he's saying, come on, look at me. Can't you tell that we're related? So tell my father about all my honor in Egypt and about everything you've seen, but bring my father down here quickly. Listen, Joseph isn't bragging here. He's simply saying, God put me in this place because that's showing my father that God's word was fulfilled. That dream that I shared with you and with him, this is all showing how faithful our God is. It it has nothing to do with me. Again, he's saying, God's the one that put me here. I didn't get here on my own. I didn't get here out of my own wit and wisdom. I didn't get to where I am because I'm great. I got here because God put me here. And you tell my father that so that he will be encouraged by seeing how God has unfolded his plan and purpose and kept his promises of the dream and revelation that he gave. Then this, another emotional scene. He threw himself, verse 14, on the neck of his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after his brothers talked with him. Wow. Again, what an incredible transformation. The last time, 20-some years ago, it was a totally different scene. And now because of them allowing God to change all of their hearts, including Joseph's, they're reconciled, they're restored, they're back together. And they will now form the foundation as the 12 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel and the people of God. And then verse 16. From verse 16 down through verse 20, we see the generosity of Pharaoh. Why is this important? It's important because this passage, amongst many others in the Bible, proves, proves that the Bible is the word of God and not the word of man. Why do I say that? Remember, book of Exodus, just one more book, Egyptians and Israelites aren't really the best of buddies, right? If you're writing something, even history, you don't want to cast certain people and certain kinds of people and certain nationalities and all that in any kind of good light at all. And the Bible makes sure that it is honest and that it is true. And even though, yeah, later on in history, the Egyptians enslave the Israelites and things change, now that is not the case. That Pharaoh and the leadership of Israel are more than nice and good and kind to the Israelites. In fact, notice in this passage, beginning in verse 18 a couple times and then in verse 20, Pharaoh gives them the best of the land. Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 17, do this, load your animals, go to the land of Canaan, get your father and your households, get them back here. I'll give you the best. You'll eat the best. Don't worry, verse 20, about your belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt will be yours. Pharaoh gave them the best. And that says a couple things too. One, 
that says how much he admired Joseph. See, Joseph changed Pharaoh's perspective on the Hebrews. One man changed the perspective of another man about a whole race of people because he had such respect for Joseph, you see. He admired him. He esteemed him. And he couldn't do enough for Joseph's family. When you appreciate, admire, love someone else, you don't just want to do for them. You want to do for all the, the people that are connected to them because that's how you're expressing your love and appreciation, all of that for them too, is you want to bless everybody that they're connected with. That's Pharaoh. And he's not a believer in Yahweh, but he's a good man. So the wagons of Israel, or excuse me, the wagons, the sons of Israel, verse 21, did as he said, Joseph gave them wagons or chariots as Pharaoh had instructed, and he gave them provisions for the journey. This is interesting. He gave his brothers sets of clothes to each one of them. You know what these clothes are? These are festive robes. Sort of ironic, right? They took Joseph's festive robe that his father once gave him, that coat of many colors, and stripped him of it and then threw animal blood on it. And now, in return, what's he doing? They don't deserve it. Again, it's grace, but Joseph is giving them these festive robes. And to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five sets of clothes. Benjamin is a well-dressed man. And then to his father, he sent the following. Ten donkeys loaded with the best products of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, food, provision. I mean, they're just beyond blessed, right? And then he sent his brothers on their way and they left. And the final exhortation Joseph says to them is very important. He says, don't be overcome with fear. Keep moving forward. You've come so far. Don't look back thinking someone's going to come after you because that's happened a couple of times already in the story, right? And then you even think about later on in the book of Exodus how Pharaoh's heart was hardened once he even released Moses and the Israelites and he went chasing after them. One of the things Joseph is saying here, don't worry about your back because I got your back. That'll come back into play on Sunday. Don't worry about that. And, and here's the other thing. Don't be afraid about what you still need to do. Because guess what? They still need to come clean with their father about what they've done to Joseph. And Joseph is saying, you've got to go all the way with this. You've come so far, but you've got to go back to dad and you've got to own up to what you did to me in order to come full circle. So don't be overcome with it. Keep moving forward. So they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob was stunned. 
Literally in the Hebrew, he was paralyzed. He could not speak or he could not move. He, he just was frozen. For he did not believe them. It was too good to be true. Again, but you know what? God does things in our life that are always too good to be true. I mean, think about it. I got to wrap this up in just a moment, but think about just even for all of us, generally. Don't you think it's sort of too good to be true that you and I sit here or stand here tonight or are watching from our homes and all of our sins of all time are already forgiven in Jesus Christ? Isn't it too good to be true that as soon as we die from this earth, we go to be with God in glory? And oh, yeah, we get to spend eternity with him in glory? I, I mean, it's like all that God has done for us, all that God will do for us, he gave us his word, he gave us the presence of his spirit, he's given us his, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I mean, it's, when you think about our life, it's like, it's too good to be true. This can't be real. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Again, which is why when we think about and pause to think about what God has done, it should stir worship in us. But when they related to him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, their father Jacob's spirit revived from discouragement of spirit. That's what God wants to do. He wants to encourage the discouraged. He wants to cheer up the downhearted and the depressed. He wants to revive spirits, and God can do that. Sometimes it's through others, but sometimes it's just through the moving of God himself. And then we end with this. Then Israel said, enough. Literally, it is more than enough. My son, Joseph, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Two things in closing. This would be a journey of faith for Jacob. Because he's old. This is not going to be an easy trip. It's going to be a long and arduous trip for him. So it's not like this is easy. So it shows us even up to the end of our life, sometimes God is leading us to do things that aren't the easiest things to do, even at the end of our life, but it's the way God wants us to have our last few years of our life. That was his plan and his purpose. And Jacob had to trust that God would be with him and sustain him and protect him and get him to Egypt so that he could lay his eyes on Joseph. But one other thing. Jo Jacob was 130 years old here. Later on, we find out that he dies when he's 147. So he has 17 years with Joseph in Egypt before he passes, which is very interesting because how old was Joseph when he was sold into slavery by his brothers? 
he was 17. So Jacob has the first 17 years of Joseph's life. Then he has this big gap in the middle, and then he's able to spend the final 17 years of his life with Joseph. 17 at the beginning, 17 at the end. And next week, we'll now finally see Israel in Egypt, which not only begins to sort of lay the foundation for the end of Genesis, but it begins to lay the groundwork for the next book we're going to go into study on Wednesday night, the book of Exodus. Let's pray. God, we thank you of how, God, you go ahead of us, how you prepare the way, how you prepare us for the way, and, God, how you can work all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose, and how you, God, who through the power that is at work within us is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or think. God, it is more than enough. It, it is beyond our ability to even comprehend or conceive all that you've done for us. It's too good to be true, God. And yet it is. It's real. We're saved by your son, Jesus, and we're children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God, princes and princesses of God. Our citizenship is not on earth. It's in glory. And we're just waiting for our Savior to come and get us to take us there. Oh, God, it's more than enough. It's too good to be true. But Lord, may the things we know about you and the things we know you've done for us stir a life of faithfulness and obedience and worship and wonder, God, in you. May you continue to inspire us with the story of the life of Joseph. And may we see how you worked in his life and be encouraged and strengthened in how you can work through our life, even through the pain, and the suffering. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.